I want to ask you to join with me this morning in turning to Matthew chapter 28. The Gospel of Matthew, the very last chapter, chapter 28. I'm going to be reading verses 16 through 20. As you're turning, I want to say good morning and welcome to those who are joining us via our Facebook Live broadcast. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. We hope that this will be an encouragement to you. Again, reading Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, let us hear the word of the Lord today. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This ends the reading of God's holy, infallible word. May he write its truth on our hearts and do a great work in this church today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your word, and we're so thankful for the power of the gospel to save and transform. We confess now that it is our only hope. And we're thankful for the promise of the Spirit to come into our midst today and to be our teacher. And we pray that through the work of the Spirit, and the proclamation of the good news of the gospel, your church will indeed be transformed into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Every Sunday we gather together and meet, and these meetings look very, very similar. We do almost the same exact thing every time we come together, don't we? We sing, and we pray, and we read scripture together. We have Bible study classes, and, and we have preaching where we get into God's Word, and we have fellowship time. These are things that we do uh, essentially every time we meet. But every once in a while, as a church, when we gather, we do some things a little bit different that we don't do every time. These things uh, we might call rituals. Uh, some call them sacraments. We call them ordinances. Most of what we do in our worship gatherings focus on the inward work of the gospel in our hearts, as it should be. But we do some outward things from time to time, outward things given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And here at Trinity today, we are going to observe one of these ordinances, the ordinance of baptism. We have a, a young lady in our church who has come forward for baptism, Olivia or Avia Lindsay. Uh, most of you know her. You've seen her running around. And if you haven't, I hope you will get to know her. Uh, and we're going to travel over today uh, to Southwoods Baptist and baptize her, and I hope all of you will come and, and be in attendance. It's a special day in her life, and it's a special day in the life of the church. 
Uh, and in light of what we're going to be doing today, I want us to just take a few minutes and think about this, uh, this ritual that we do, this tradition that we have, this ordinance given to us, the ordinance of baptism. I think that a lot of us might take some of this stuff for granted, especially if you grew up in church, especially in the South. Uh, you have seen this. Maybe you've seen it many, many times. Uh, well, what is it? Now, this is an unusual thing if you think about it, isn't it? This is something that the Christian church does. Uh, you, you don't really see anybody else out there doing other things, do you? If you've ever been a part of any other club, uh, the, the 4-H club, the Boy Scout or Girl Scouts, uh, a, a golf club, a glee club, were any of you ever baptized in any of those things? I, I, I hope not. Maybe you don't need to tell us if you were. But I don't want us to just assume that, well, yeah, this is baptism. We know what it is. We know what's going on. So this morning we're going to take a few minutes and just kind of reflect on what we're doing. And here are my goals. First, I want to present a gospel encouragement to Avia who has come forward for baptism. It's a special day in her life. Second, I want those of us who have been baptized to reflect on what it means for us. Uh, this is a celebration for, for all of us, for our church, not just for Avia. And I think from time to time it's good for us to have some reminders for those of us who have already experienced this. If you've trusted in Christ and professed faith in Him and have been baptized, but maybe there are some here who aren't or who have not undergone this ordinance of baptism. Or maybe you did, and when you look back on your life, you realize, you know, I had no clue what the gospel meant. I was as lost as I could be. Well, maybe this is something that needs to be corrected on your part. We believe that baptism should follow uh, profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're in that category, I think you need to give this some consideration today. So the way we're going to do this is going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be a typical sermon. There won't be any slides unless Brother Mark has something that I don't know about and I don't think he does. But I'm just going to ask you uh, a series of questions and try to, as best I can, give you some good biblical answers and explanations regarding baptism and what we believe about it. So first, what is baptism? How, how would we define baptism? Well, I want to share with you uh, from the works of a couple of theologians, one who is uh, dead and gone, uh, but a renowned Baptist scholar, Augustus Strong. He lived in the late 19th and early 20th century and wrote a systematic theology in which he said this on baptism, Baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in token of his previous entrance into the communion of Christ's death and resurrection, or in other words, in token of his regeneration through union with Christ. Um, you'll notice that Strong uses the word token there. Now, he's not using it the way that we typically think of token. We might think of a, a little coin or something, but what he's saying is a symbol. He's saying that baptism is a, a symbol of one's regeneration through union with Christ. Now, it does not produce 
regeneration. Okay? Very important distinction. It is a symbol of that regeneration through union with Christ. A very important symbol. A necessary symbol? Can we say that? Yikes. I'll deal with this more later. Don't panic. Some of you uh, may be familiar with Wayne Grudem. Unfortunately, some of you only became familiar with him this week. <laughs> and I think a lot of you know what I'm re referencing. Uh, but uh, Grudem is um, a popular uh, scholar and theologian. He, too, has a, a very well-known systematic theology that's used in a lot of seminaries and, and classrooms. Uh, he writes from a, a re reformed perspective, and, and this he says about baptism. Baptism very clearly pictures death to one's old way of life and rising to a new kind of life in Christ. And so you'll notice there that he says picture. Baptism is a picture of something, right? It's a picture of, of death and life. Uh, Again, uh, a necessary symbol or picture? Hmm, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. <laughs> well, that leads me to another question. If we think that baptism is a symbol, what do we think that it symbolizes? Well, a symbol, uh, baptism as a symbol, shows our being united to Christ, uh, being joined to Him in His death and in new life, uh, in resurrection, this is from Romans 6, 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, when the Apostle Paul writes this, is he saying that we've literally been buried? Of course not, right? So we recognize the symbolism in baptism, right? It's a symbol. It's a, it's a picture of, of death, burial, and resurrection. A very powerful symbol. Uh, we use water for baptism, right? Well, why is that? Well, water is it's a real thing, but it's a very powerful symbol, isn't it? I mean, it's one of our main necessities. Maybe next to air, it's our most important necessity. Water uh, speaks to us of life. When a, a mother carries a baby in her womb, uh, they refer to that as a bag of waters, right? This is where this baby is, and this baby comes from that. Baptism also symbolizes cleansing or washing. If you uh, recall last week, we made reference to the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, this is a, a very old document going back to the late 1500s that came about as a result of the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. Uh, question 69 in this catechism says this, How does holy baptism remind and assure you that Christ's one sacrifice on the cross benefits you personally? And this is the answer, in this way. Christ instituted this outward washing and with it promised that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and his spirit wash away my soul's impurity, that is, all my sins. So we see the, the significance of the water, don't we? 
We're not talking about a literal washing, are we? Will Avia be cleaner once she comes out of the water this afternoon? Maybe. I don't know. But that's really not what we're doing. Rather, that symbol of the water and being immersed in that water symbolizes cleansing from sin. This idea of union with Christ is so essential uh, when we consider baptism. This is from Colossians 2, 11 through 13. And as I'm reading this, I want you to, to notice how the emphasis is on this union with Christ. Listen as, as Paul describes this, and you'll hear the repetition of the phrase, in him or, or with him. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Clearly, we can see in this passage and in the others that there is a reference here to a union with Christ, a union that is real. And it's symbolized in these waters of baptism. Baptism uh, also symbolizes the coming of the Holy Spirit. If you remember this passage, uh, in all of the Gospels, it's very rare that you see this, but all of the Gospels uh, record the baptism of Jesus. And what happened when Jesus came up out of the water? The Holy Spirit descended and came upon him. In the same way, we recognize that one who comes for baptism has put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and has already been a recipient of the Holy Spirit. But this act of baptism reminds us that this person is, is indeed filled with and immersed with God's Holy Spirit, which is what allows us to become a new person, isn't it? We can't do this on our own. There has to be something from outside us. And so... What is symbolized in baptism? Lots of things, isn't it? It's not just one or two. It's, it's many things. Now, let's move on to another question. And let me uh, just point out for you here that uh, we may differ with some of our good, good friends and brothers and sisters on uh, some of the things that I'm going to discuss here. Uh, we will allow for some differences within the body of Christ, and that's okay. Who is it that takes this symbol? Who is to be baptized? Well, we're all Baptists, right? I think most of us. But we aren't the only ones that believe in baptism. You know who believes in baptism? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody believes in baptism. How was it that we got to be called Baptists? Well, it wasn't because we believed in baptism and, and nobody else did. The Roman Catholics believe in baptism and the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Anglicans. Everybody believes in baptism. But we believe in baptism by immersion. Maybe we should be called the immersionists. Maybe we should, yeah, this is what we should do. We should change the name of our church to Trinity Reformed Immersionist Church. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, actually, the means it, the response by those who are listening is, what shall we do? 
Peter has preached that this Jesus who was just recently crucified has been risen from the dead. And that there's no hope, there's no salvation apart from recognizing Him as Israel's Messiah. And when they hear this, they say, what shall we do? And what does Peter tell them? In Acts 2.38, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, who does Peter say should be baptized here? Those who repent, right? And then further down in Acts 2, verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So, who is baptism for? Baptism is for believers. And I could give you other evidences in Scripture, but for time's sake, I'm going to hope that that will suffice for now. But that does lead to another question. Who can baptize? Can anyone baptize? Well, I want you to notice here in our primary text in Matthew 28 that Jesus commissions his disciples, his apostles. They are to go and to preach and to teach and to baptize. But often... In discussions about the Great Commission, there's something missing. And what I want you to notice, that it says there that uh, before Jesus gives the commission, he gives this statement, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, why do you think Jesus says this before he gives the commission? As the disciples are going, they're going in the name of Jesus. They have no choice but to go. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. And so with the authority that has been endowed to him, he then commissions his apostles to go and to preach and to make disciples and to baptize them. And then notice the last statement. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so what we see here in the commissioning of the apostles is the authority and the presence of Christ, the promise of the presence of Christ to be with them as they go. You'll recall the words of Ephesians 2.20 that tells us that the church is built on what? The foundation of the apostles and prophets not as men, but as preachers of the gospel commissioned by Christ and preaching and teaching under his authority. Baptism symbolizes everything that we had talked about in that, under that previous question, but it also symbolizes something else. It symbolizes one's entrance into the church, into the body of Christ. This is a a ritual by which we recognize someone's entry into the church, and as such, it is to be taken seriously and administered properly. This is how the framers of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith put it. These holy appointments, that is, the leading and performing of baptism, are to be administered by those only who are qualified and thereunto called according to the commission of Christ. Now, if we, if we balk at that a little bit, 
let me try to offer a little bit more of an explanation, and I think it can come to us with what we refer to baptism as, which is an ordinance. Some traditions refer to this as a sacrament. Uh, and these words, sacrament and ordinance, are often used interchangeably, but there's a reason that we don't use the word sacrament in Baptist circles at least, and probably in many Protestant circles. The Catholic Church recognizes something as a sacrament that conveys grace. By its very doing it, grace is conferred upon the one receiving it, and the Catholic Church recognizes seven of these, seven sacraments. Baptism, Holy Communion, Confirmation, confession, extreme unction, which is the anointing of the sick, marriage, and for those who are going into the priesthood, holy orders. Uh, they believe that when they perform these, these rituals, the church actually converts grace upon someone. So when a, a baby is baptized in the Roman Catholic Church, there is grace conferred upon that child. They then belong to, to Christ. It's such a, an important symbolism for the Catholic Church of that one being brought into the church that if you've ever been to a, a Catholic baptism service, where is it held? These baptismal fonts in the Catholic Church are either in the foyer or a separate room outside the church proper. Why? Because what they're doing is they're baptizing this infant into the church. They don't bring them into the church until they've been baptized. Very strong symbolism with which I hope all of us would disagree. But anyway, that's, that's the reason they do it the way they do. Um, we speak of these things that we're talking about, baptism and the Lord's Supper, as ordinances to, to distinguish them because, uh, from, from sacraments. Now, uh, is grace conferred? I think it could be. I think it's a very gracious act that the Lord Jesus has given us these ordinances. And I think that somehow, in some way, when we take the Lord's Supper, when we partake, there is a measure of grace given to us if we do so by faith. When, when someone comes in response to faith and repentance and requests baptism, yes, I believe that grace is administered, but it may not be. Just because the church does it does not guarantee it. Now, in the Roman view, it does. But we would disagree with them in part over that. As ordinances given by Christ to the church, we perform the ordinances in the church. Now, what I mean by that is not necessarily inside a building, but as a church gathering. We gather together, and this is a part of our worship. Uh, we have friends who would differ with us on this uh, and, and take a, a very different stance regarding who can baptize. Uh, for instance, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that the Church of Christ would allow anyone to baptize. And the reason that they do so is because uh, if they lead someone to Christ, they want to baptize that person immediately. And the reason they want to do that is because they don't want anything to happen to that person because they believe in baptismal regeneration. They believe that grace is actually conferred upon one in the waters of baptism and that you cannot be a believer unless you've been baptized. Now, let's say you lead someone to Christ on Tuesday and the minister is out of town 
on vacation. Well, that's fine. We can baptize him next Sunday at church. Oh, no, no, no. What if he doesn't make it till next Sunday? <laughs> well, we'll speak on that more in just a few minutes, but obviously we would disagree with them about uh, the importance of baptism being administered by the church. Um, so now I want to I get to this question, and that, that previous uh, answer actually leads kind of to this question. Is baptism necessary? If I'm, if I'm saved, do I have to get baptized? You've said many times, Brother Randy, that it's just a symbol. Well, I think what we need to understand is that this ordinance is of such importance that Jesus gave it to his church. Uh, every disciple in Acts is baptized. Our Lord Jesus himself submitted to this ordinance of baptism, didn't he? Is it essential for salvation? Well, we would have to say no, wouldn't we? Because if we, if we don't, then that totally undermines what we believe about faith and salvation coming by faith alone. Now, everybody always has this rebuttal. Well, what about the thief on the cross? Well, you know what I say to that argument? By the way, that's really the only argument, isn't it? What do you say about the thief on the cross? This is what I say. If you want to depart this world that way, then okay, fine. I hope and pray that you don't. I'm thankful for that account given to us in the Gospels, because imagine how ridiculous it would have been for Jesus to tell him, if, if only there was some way we could get down and somebody could baptize you, you would be with me today in paradise. But, so we have an exception that actually helps our understanding of baptism, doesn't it? Keeps us from putting too much emphasis on it, perhaps. But should it have great emphasis? Absolutely. Do I have to get baptized? Well, I don't even know if that's the right question. What's wrong about baptism that someone would... I mean, why wouldn't you? Come on in, the water's fine. Uh, Brother Chris Wilbanks over at Southwoods, uh, I asked him yesterday, I said, I'm just double-checking, do we have water? And he said, Brother... Not only do you have water, you have warm water. So praise the Lord, it's a chilly day, you know. My point is, you can't say, I don't like cold water, or I don't like whatever it is. What would be a sufficient argument to not be baptized? Uh, really, the question is, well, well why wouldn't you? If, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and been transformed by His grace. This is a gift from the Lord Jesus to His church. It's a blessing. It's not painful in any way. It's a powerful, powerful symbol that every follower of Jesus should want to undertake. 
So I guess I would say, why wouldn't you? So I want to address those of you today who have not been baptized, but you have professed faith in Christ, and I think there may be some in our number. Why would you reject this wonderful gift that the Lord Jesus has given to his church? What a, what a great blessing it is for us to experience outwardly something that Jesus has done inwardly. Something that we can, can look back on, something we can remember. And we're going to have struggles. We, we talked about this last night with Avia. There's going to be times where we, we doubt. I asked Avia. There's going to be times where you, where you struggle with, with trust and, and with faith and, and with wondering, am I truly saved? And you know what she said? I already have. All of us have. And so what a wonderful gift this is to remind us, not that that act saved us, but the Lord gave us such a powerful experience to remind us that we went through a process where we came before the church and we professed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins. And the church recognized fruit in our lives that, that, that was in accordance with that profession. And said, yes, come, we want, to, we want to convey this wonderful gift to you. Maybe, let's say you were baptized as a child. Uh, maybe... Some of your friends were baptized and you said, well, if they're going to do it, I'm going to do it too. And you had no understanding of the gospel and you've looked back and, and thought many times, you know, when I got baptized, I was lost as a goose. Well, I want you to consider today if you should make this right. Baptism should follow your profession of faith. Those who believed were baptized. And it will be a greater encouragement to you if you have your baptism after your profession. Those of you who have been baptized, and I think that would probably be most of us today, I want to encourage you to reflect on the gospel. This is what baptism is about. We cannot ever let the symbol be more than the thing it symbolizes. Remember last week? Last week I preached a sermon entitled, The Gospel is Enough. And I told you in the course of that, that everything in the life of our church is about the gospel. It's the bullseye, remember? It's at the very core, it's at the, at the very center and symbols as powerful and wonderful as they are, this wonderful thing in the Lord Jesus in His wisdom gave to His church uh, can never supplant the thing itself, can it? Which is the glorious life and death and burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. John Calvin said this about baptism, the benefit baptism uh, ought to by no means be restricted to the time when it was administered to us, but lies open to the whole course of life because the promise which it contained in it is perpetually enforced. In other words, Calvin said we can always look back. For the rest of our lives, from the time that we're baptized onward, we can always look back and remember that great experience and the powerful symbolism that it holds. Listen to God's word from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What a, what a beautiful reminder that is for those of us who have been baptized of the wonderful blessing bestowed on us in the gospel. Amen? And not only do we reflect and remind ourselves, have our faith strengthened, but as we observe the ordinance of baptism today, those of us who have been baptized will hopefully be encouraged and, and have hope to press on for the future. This is from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, again, symbolized in baptism, right? Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I hope that you can see there from Paul's words in those first couple of verses the, the emphasis on union with Christ so beautifully symbolized in baptism. And if we've been raised up with Christ, what are we to do? We're to seek those things that are above where Christ is, but we're also reminded that Christ, who is our life, is coming again. And we will appear with Him in glory. This is the promise of the gospel, brothers and sisters. Is this your hope? Well, I hope and pray that it is. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we're so thankful to have this time together today to worship you and to celebrate this wonderful ordinance of baptism. I pray today, Father, for Avia. And how I pray for your richest blessing upon her, that you will strengthen her heart and strengthen her faith for the days ahead. We pray that she would just rejoice greatly today in knowing that she is a child of the King. And Father, we as a church do celebrate with her. We rejoice and our hearts are strengthened in the gospel. We thank you for this great hope that we have given to us by our soon-to-return King, our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.